Glory to God. Jesus is Lord. I'm glad you are with me today, friends. As uh, you are listening to me and as you have been blessed, I want to ask you to bless us back with a financial donation so we can produce more of these Bible teachings to reach many, many more people because that is God's deepest desire so we can reach as many people as possible with this uh, message so their lives can be transformed so they can live as overcomers in Christ. Would you like to be a part of that by helping us with a financial donation? The Word of God teaches that whatever you give into His work, God will be certain to bless you back. Let me give you a scripture to stand on as you give into this ministry and you can be certain that God will bless you back. That scripture is Luke 6.38. It teaches give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaking together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So as you give into God's work, God will be certain he blesses you back abundantly, exceedingly. And you would be partaking into God's work to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. So friend, would you open your heart to bless us back with a financial donation so we can join hands and together uh, advance God's work? Whatever you give into this ministry, we go right back into this Bible teaching podcast so we can pay for studio time and produce more shows so we can reach many, many more people. So here is how you can give. Our safe and secure website is drruthtanyorg slash donate. Again, drruthtanyorg slash donate. It is safe and secure. You can donate from anywhere in the world. All you need is internet access to make a donation as you are led by the Lord. Or if you live here in the USA, you can donate through Zelle. And the telephone number is... Nine zero nine five zero one nine zero three one. That number is nine zero nine five zero one nine zero three one. We also receive donations through Cash App. The name there is the dollar sign Dr. Ruth Tanyi. Again, for Cash App, the dollar sign Dr. Ruth Tanyi. Friends, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your kind love donations into this ministry. And we pray in the name of Jesus that God, in his faithfulness, will bless you back abundantly, exceedingly. We thank you in advance. So enjoy today's teachings and be blessed. Welcome. Here is our teacher, Dr. Ruth, to explain other laws that God gave Moses to teach the nation of Israel, plus us. Let's join Dr. Ruth. Praise the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth. We are back in our study of the book of Deuteronomy. A powerful, fascinating book from Moses as he expounded on the law he had received from the Lord. He is uh, reiterating the law to the second generation Israelites who were about to go possess the promised land. And Moses himself was about to die. So he was reteaching, if you will, 
reiterating God's law to the new generation. So we pick it up here in Deuteronomy chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, open it to this chapter. Or if you are driving, you can just listen. So what is the gist of this chapter? In this chapter, Moses would give the second generation Israelites more of God's law especially pertaining to how they would get along or how they would live alongside with each other, how they would express love, compassion, and care for their fellow Israelites. And Moses would also give further instructions from God to them about protecting the marital home or laws pertaining to violation of marriage. Okay, so let us get into it right away. Let's get to verse 1 out of Deuteronomy chapter 22. Let us read this out loud. If you see your fellow Israelites' ox or sheep strain, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to its owner. Right away, we see how the Lord is teaching them to care for their neighbor's property as if it was theirs. Verse 2, if they do not live near you or if you do not know who owns it, take it home with you and keep it until they come back looking for it. Then give it back. Verse 3, do the same if you find their donkey or clock or anything else they have lost. Do not ignore it. Powerful principle, which is still applicable today, that when we find something lost that does not belong to us, we should care for it. We should take good care of it and look for the owner of the property or take it with us until the owner shows up. We cannot um, own it. We cannot lie about not finding it. Because if we did that, we would be sinning against the Lord. And as we go through these verses, please keep in mind that all of these principles are still applicable, teaching us how to live alongside with others, how to show love and compassion, was others, just how to live in harmony. That is really what this is all about, because we serve a God of peace who wants harmony at all times. So he had to really teach these people how to get along with one another and to avoid strife, argument, and, and fighting, which would be from the enemy. Okay, we come to verse 4. If you see your fellow Israelites, donkey, or ox falling on the road, do not ignore it. Again, more instructions to care for your neighbor's property. We come to verse 5, which is really an interesting verse and an often misunderstood verse because people take it out of context. So let, let me read this out loud. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests Anyone who does this, let me pause here. Like I have often explained, it is very poor Bible 
interpretation to take a verse out of context or to take a book of the Bible out of context and make a doctrine or a teaching out of that. That would be considered heresy or false teaching, which would put people in bondage. And unfortunately, this is what we have seen with this verse. If you remember in context, Moses is teaching the second generation Israelites the laws of God. And as you recall, I hope you do, Moses had been reiterating throughout about the importance for the second generation Israelites to flee idolatry. They were headed to the promised land where those nations over there, i.e. the Canaanites, the Hittites, practice hardcore idolatry, pagan worship. So in context, this book of Deuteronomy is really teaching the Israelites God's law, which include avoiding pagan worship, witchcraft, idolatry, and anything associated with such demonic behaviors. So in context, therefore, what this verse is teaching us is that the pagan nations, i.e. the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, and all of those nations that the Israelites were, were going to dispose in the promised land as part of their pagan worship and idolatry, the women wore men's clothing and the men wore women's clothing to identify themselves with their pagan gods, with their pagan worship, with their pagan altars. So in that culture where they were headed, it was something that people did as part of their idol worship. So we see how the Lord is warning the Israelites through Moses that when they go there, they should not dress like them because if they did, they would be associating or affiliating themselves with, with their pagan worship. Really, that is all that is saying right here. If you think about this, even today in the 21st century, we've had in the last 50 to 100 years, various clans, which I won't name any on this program, but please think with, with me. We've had various clans that would dress a certain way as their identity to display or to let others know of their beliefs. And they would tattoo certain words or their beliefs on their clothing and on their skin as their identification, which was all part of their gang or clan. So clothing really has a tendency to affiliate you with certain types of beliefs. And we see that today in the U.S. and even in Europe. Even, even in the last year or two, we have gangsters, gangs, who wear certain type of clothing, which is their identity. So that is a similar thing happening here where the Lord is warning the Israelites that women must not wear men's clothing nor a man wear women's clothing because 
The pagan nations did these things as part of their idol worship. So this is just a way to prevent them from practicing or dressing like those pagan nations, thereby making others to think that they are actually worshiping their God. So that is really what this is saying. This is not saying that a woman today cannot wear pants. No. Okay, of course, women can wear pants. That does not mean that they worship idols. That does not mean that. All right? And another thing to keep in mind, too, as also part of their pagan idolatry worship, some of the pagan nations, the inhabitants there, practice a lot of uh, trans transgender dressing, which also is highly prohibited by the living God of the Bible. So that is also part of what this is saying. So today, a woman like myself, if I wear pants, a pantsuit, it is acceptable because I am a believer of Jesus Christ, and that does not disqualify me from that. But God does not want men to be wearing women's clothing, i.e. practicing transgender behaviors. So if a man is to wear woman clothing, say, in an act of performance as a as an actor or as a singer, occasionally, or to play a role in a movie, and he has no attachment to idol worship or any attachment to uh, pagan worship, that would be fine. But for a man to dress like a woman because that man is a trans transgender, that behavior is detestable to the Lord and the uh, the God of the Bible does not condone that. So I hope you get the picture of what I just explained there. Okay, verse 6 is just talking about how the Israelites actually should care even for the birds, the animal. You can read that there to if they come across a bird's nest, they should actually uh, protect the mother, obviously for fertility purposes. We come to uh, verse 8, which is another interesting verse teaching the Israelites how to uh, protect themselves and protect others uh, from unintentional injury. Verse 8 reads, When you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if some, someone falls from the roof. A parapet was like a guardrail. You have to keep in mind back then, during these ancient times, the architecture was not uh, sophisticated. So people were not building homes with fancy roofs to protect the home. Most of the homes had no protective uh, roof. So here we see the Lord instructing them to place a parapet, which is like a guardrail, on their roofs so that somebody would not fall accidentally. Just like today, if you have a patio, you have protection of that patio. You have high walls to protect the patio so someone or even a young child would not tip over that patio and fall and hurt themselves. So that is what we see here. Wow, God is so good. Teaching these people the tiniest details to protect themselves, live in harmony, and to walk in love all applicable today. Verse 9, here is the principle of distinction 
and God uh, taught us this during creation. I talked about this in the book of Genesis. You can go back and re-listen. Verse 9 here reads, Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Remember, every kind according to its kind. So the Lord is just reminding them here not to do that. Okay, verse... Um, we come down to verse 11. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Again, protecting them, teaching them how to, to protect their clothing. Wow. <laughs> verse uh, 12. Make tassels on the four corners of the cloaks you wear. We talked about that. Those tassels, the word of God or the decrees of of the Lord were supposed to be embedded there so the Israelites can look at God's law at all times as they wear the tassels. We talked about that already. So we come to verse 13, still in the book of Deuteronomy, verses 13 through verse... All the way to verse 19. It's really interesting how the Lord here would give further instructions about violating marriage. So in essence, we will learn how the Lord would give instructions how to protect a woman who was married as a virgin and then the husband turns around and accuses her of not being a virgin. In essence, the Lord would give these instructions so that it would prevent the husbands from quickly or innocently divorcing their wives out of false accusation. And you have to remember, back in this culture and even currently, to be a virgin or to be married as a virgin was really so significant. It was like the, the pride of the parent to say that my daughter is a virgin, and I'm giving my daughter to you for marriage. So it was such a big thing, and promiscuity was subject to death. So for a man to turn around and claim that I married this woman, and then I found out that she was not a virgin, that was a death sentence right there. So the Lord had to give this ordinance to protect the women who would be accused falsely and to warn the man not to do that because if the man is found out to be lying against the woman, he himself will be or would be penalized in fines of silver and shekels. Okay, so let us take a closer look at these verses. I am back here in verse 13, if a man takes a wife and after sleeping with her, dislikes her, verse 14, and slanders her and gives her a bad report saying, I married this woman, but when I approached her, I did not find proof of her virginity. Verse 15, then the young woman's father and mother shall bring to the town elders at the gate proof that she was a virgin. This is interesting. These verses do not tell us, but apparently 
there was some kind of way that the parents were to prove that their daughter was a virgin. Okay? So, in verse 16, her father would say to the elders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he dislikes her. Now, I am in verse 17, he has slandered her and said, I did not find your daughter to be a virgin, but here is the proof of my daughter's virginity. Apparently, the parents had the burden of proof to show to the elders of the town that their daughter was truly a virgin. We are talking about a death sentence crime here. So this was really crucial. Then her parents shall display the cloth before the elders of the town and the uh, and the elders and the elders shall take the man and punish him. So the cloth, who knows what was in that cloth? Maybe some blood to prove that the man disvirgin her. It could be that the daughter was advised or it could be that it was the culture back then that the virgin daughters were advised that when you had intercourse with a man for the first time and there is evidence of your of that man disvirginating you, such as blood in the cloth, save that as proof. Who knows? Maybe that was the cultural thing back then. But these verses are just telling us that the parents have to bring this cloth to prove that she was indeed a virgin and this man was just looking for ways to divorce her essentially. And then the rest of those verses went on to say that the man would be punished. You can read that in verse 19 and he would pay a hundred shekels of silver and, and she shall continue to be his wife. He must not divorce her and the man who falsely accused the lady would be forced to stay in that marriage. <laughs> Taya. Boy, wouldn't that prevent them from lying? You see, this is what the Lord was doing here to prevent the men from, from uh, falsely, falsely accusing the ladies, we come to verse 20. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, verse 21, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. Just like I was saying that if it proves to be true that the man was truthful, that the daughter was not a virgin, she, she will be killed. Wow. Hmm. The Lord was really going to set precedence to really tell these people that sexual immorality was subject to death. And really, God hasn't changed, okay? And God still hates extramarital sex. I have talked about that. Even though God is not going to strike you dead today, like I have often said over and over, some of you may be tired of hearing me say this, but I will say it over and over because God says it over and over. When you are having sex outside of marriage or if you are engaged in um, sex before marriage, which is fornication, you are just opening the door for the enemy to attack you with all sorts of emotional and physical problems. And the Lord would allow it because you are disobeying him and essentially selling your body for sex. And that is not how he created sex. God really dislikes sexual sins because sex was created by God for a married man and a married woman in a marital relationship and nothing else. 
but Satan has deceived people and and um, people are practicing all sorts of sexual sins and um, and they are suffering okay and also sexual sins truly is a primary reason for the breakdown of the family unit and God does not like that so he takes sexual sins seriously okay let's move on here we are now down to verse 22 if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife both the man who slept with her and the woman must die <laughs> boy if this one was to happen today mm, a lot of people would would be killed you must purge the evil from israel uh, so we talked about this sentence before because God was going to use death as the final blow to teach a lesson so people would not copy that behavior. Okay. So this reminds me of the story in the Gospels about the woman caught in the act of adultery. I'm wondering, I wonder where the man was. <laughs> because the Pharisees only brought the woman to Jesus. That What should we do? The law of Moses says we should stone her. Remember that story? When we get to the Gospels, we would talk about that. Boy, I wonder where the man was. And many people have often asked, why the woman? Where was the man? Who knows? Maybe the, one of the Pharisees was the man that she was having adultery with. The scriptures do not tell us that, I am just saying. But bottom line is that the man and the woman would carry equal punishment, which was death for adultery. Okay, verses 23 all the way to verse, actually to the end of this chapter, which is verse 30, would give strict regulations about rape, okay, which is really still applicable today. All right, let's take a closer look at some of these verses. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. Again, promiscuity, sexual sin, the punishment was death. You know, let me just say this because even today, we have seen so many deaths from sexual sin. We know that today, a lot of murder, mm -hmm, a lot of killing still happens between a divorced man and a divorced woman, whereby the divorced man would, would kill the, uh, the lover or vice versa because of sexual sin. And we also know that we have all sorts of sexual diseases such as HIV, gonorrhea, chlamydia, which are all forms of death because of sexual sin. So sexual, God is not going to strike people dead today, but people are killing themselves because of sexual immorality. I just wanted to bring that to your forefront, that in God's view, death is not just physical. Physical is the obvious one, but like I have said throughout this teaching in the Old Testament, in the Bible, darkness in the soul is also a form of death, Okay. Darkness in the soul, which is obviously evident in unbelievers who reject the Lord. They are es essentially dead people walking with a physical body, but there is no life. 
because only Jesus Christ gives life. And once they reject Jesus Christ, they are dark and dead, even though their physical body is moving around. And then also a lot of times, unfortunately, godly Christians may experience a different type of death, which is emotional torture, suffering, which unfortunately they bring upon themselves due, due to their lifestyle of practicing sin. Those are all forms of death. So God is not killing people today. People are just killing themselves because they disobey God and they engage in all this sexual immorality and all sorts of perverse sexual habits out there. And they just open the door for the enemy to torture them with guilt, emotional trauma, shame. But listen, God loves you. If you are his child, caught up in this type of sin, you can just trust God to enable you and strengthen you to overcome this because you can do all things through Christ. You do not have to be a bondage to, to sexual sin. You can overcome this because Jesus Christ has given you the power and authority in his name to overcome. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. So, so you do not have to be a victim and be deceived by the enemy. You can overcome, but you must choose to want to stop. Okay? So I really wanted to bring that to your forefront. So we come back to these uh, verses here talking about the punishment for uh, uh, rape here. We come to verse 25. Oh, let me go back to... Uh, Verse 24 there, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them, stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, you must push the evil from among you. The young woman did not scream for help, is punished. This is encouraging the women to call out for help when they are being threatened sexually, when somebody is raping them. Because if they don't call out for help, maybe they consented to it. So the Lord is just giving them instructions how they can prove their innocence, okay? And that makes sense, right? Okay, we come to verse 25. But if out in the country a man happens to meet a young woman pledged to be married and rapes her, only the man who has done this shall die. Do nothing to the woman. She has committed no sin, deserving of death, obviously, because she was out in the country. Even though she screamed, no one probably would hear her. Again, protecting the woman. Okay. Um, oh, that is exactly what I just explained in verse 27 there. For the man found the young woman out in the country, and though... The bethrown screamed there was no one to rescue her, just like what I had just explained. Verse 28 talks about if a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her, and you are caught, he is punished there. And uh, as part of that punishment, he has to pay 50 shekels and marries the woman. Boy, this, <laughs> this really still happens today in many cultures where if a man rapes a woman, well, if you are found out, especially if she is pregnant, well, she is your wife. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's not the right thing 
in some situations, but God is doing this to truly warn people to prevent rape and to really tell the men that you have to control your sexual lust and sexual desires. If you did this, you would marry this woman for the rest of your life because if you found her appealing enough to rape her, well, then there was something about her that you liked, so you must marry her. Exactly. And you know what? In God's eyes, this is correct. Even though I may not like this, even though you may not like this, this is what the Lord is saying. I know some of you are saying that, well, what if the woman doesn't, or what if the woman didn't, didn't love the man? But you have to remember back in that culture, if the man did not marry this woman, this woman would become a scorn. Nobody would ever marry this woman. She would be destitute into a life of poverty and shame. So this was the best option in that culture because back in that culture, unmarried women were high risk for poverty since they had to depend on the men for their livelihood. Okay? Of course, today, I mean, people don't have to get married to people who would rape them, unfortunately. People who rape them should go to jail, but they don't have to get married to them. But back then in that culture, that was necessary to protect and prevent the woman into a lasting poverty status. Okay, so that brings us to the end of chapter 22 there, with the biggest lessons being that God was teaching these people how to live in harmony with uh, one another. We come straight into chapter 23 here in the book of Deuteronomy. What is the gist of this chapter? The Lord would give certain provisions for those who were to be excluded from the assembly. And the assembly here is pertaining to the nation of Israel that uh, was his chosen nation, his chosen people. God would give them specific instructions with regards to people they should not mingle with. Let's take a closer look at some of these uh, verses. Deuteronomy 23 verse 1. Let's read this one out loud. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Right away here, cutting and crushing, that these were all practices of idolatry, cutting cutting themselves in a certain way to identify themselves with certain cults or with certain idol worship back there in the promised land, the Lord is saying that anyone who does this would not be a part of the nation of Israel. You cannot allow them into your assembly. Verse 2, no one born of a forbidding marriage nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. This is serious. We see how this ordinance here may sound really harsh, but it's important because we see how God is protecting the marital home. God is preventing divorce. So God is saying that if you are a forbidden child born out of wedlock, you are not to be part of the assembly. All of this, God was, was using this to train these people to teach them about the seriousness of marriage, of protecting the marital home and preventing divorce. Okay, like I said earlier, divorce is a breakdown of the family unit, so the Lord is trying to prevent that. And some of you may say 10th generation, uh, 
It's a long time, but obviously, besides the fact that Christ has fulfilled all of these regulations and we are no longer under these ordinances because Christ is a fulfillment of all of these, also keep in mind that God is just, God is fair. Even though he said 10th generation here, as we proceed, the Lord also promised blessing or blessings rather to people up to the 10th generation. So the blessings and the punishments were actually equal. Okay. We come to verse three. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. And the Lord went on to explain why. And if you recall, we talked about this in Numbers chapter 25, how the Moabite women seduced the Israelite men and they fell into sexual immorality and they yoked with them and practiced idolatry and they were actually deceived or they were coerced or encouraged by the phony, fake, counterfeit prophet Balaam. Okay, how Balaam had had encouraged the Moabite women to go entice the Israelite men. And the men fell into that scene. We talked about that. You can go back and re-listen to Numbers chapter 25. So that is what the Lord is referencing to here. Okay, that the Moabite Women seduced the Israelite men and they were encouraged by Balaam and they committed that sin there, which was a sexual sin, again, really highlighting God's hatred for sexual sin. In verse 6, do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. That was then, again, Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of that. Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of this. So we are not to go about having enemies anymore. All right. We have to live peacefully with one another. We have to walk in, in love and compassion towards our enemies. So I don't want you to take these verses and say that, well, the Lord encouraged enmity. No, these verses have been fulfilled in Christ. But the principle here is still applicable that God dislikes sexual Seen. Okay. Verse 7, do not despise an Edomite. We talked about this already. The Edomite were relatives to the Israelites. Remember, Edomite descendants of Esau. Okay, towards the end there of verse uh, 7, do not despise an Egyptian. Again, the Lord is saying that they should not despise an Egyptian because they were in Egypt at one point. Even though they were there as slaves, they were... Uh, in the land of Egypt, so they should actually extend friend, uh, friendship towards them. All right, so we come to verse 9. In verse 9, uh, verses 9 all the way to verse 14, we talk about keeping, keeping the camp clean. Verse 9 reads, when you are encamped against your enemies, keep away from everything impure. Moses just went on to reiterate how they should maintain purity of the camp because the Lord indwells among them. 
Verse 10 talks about how if a man has nocturnal emission, he is to stay outside the camp until the evening time. And then as the evening time approaches, that is stated there in verse 11, the man is to come back into the camp, obviously, after he has washed himself. Again, like I said earlier in the book of Leviticus, sanitation back then wasn't proper. <laughs> they did not have antibiotics. So the Lord had to really, anyone who had any kind of bodily fluids had to stay outside the camp so they do not contaminate others. Again, teaching them cleanliness, living alongside with their neighbors. Isn't God awesome that God would really teach them, teach them how to even live clean lives and to care for their immediate environment and to prevent germs. This principle still applies today. We still have to care for our environment to minimize germs. Okay, verses 12 all the way to verse 14 there is talking about how if a person has a bowel movement, they have to get outside of the camp and dig a hole and have a bowel movement there and then close up the hole. You can read those verses on your own, which really makes me uh, think that this whole notion of um, pit toilet or pit latrine like some undeveloped countries have. That whole notion of uh, pit toilets came from the Bible, obviously, where they dig a hole where people go there and have bowel movement and then they come back into their homes. This is a similar concept here. So obviously the Lord had given the Israelites this instruction how to take care of business. Okay, so uh, some underdeveloped countries still do this. Okay, we come to verse 15. Uh, verses 15 all the way to the end of this chapter, we talk about other miscellaneous laws which are nonetheless important. Laws pertaining to slavery. And I want to say here that depending on the Bible translation, that word slave from the original language, the Hebrew is translated as a hired worker or as an employee. So this is not slave or slavery like you think of slavery where people were abused. And also in this culture, in, in the ancient Middle East, slavery was already taking place. And some of these other nations were really abusing slaves. So we see the Lord giving the Israelites instructions how to treat their hired workers, or if you want to use that terminology, slave, how to treat slaves or their hired workers or housemates with love, compassion, and dignity. I had to say that because there are people who accuse the God of the Bible of condoning slavery. No, we live in a fallen world. Slavery was human beings' invention and not God. But it was a practice that was taking place in the ancient Middle East. So God was giving the Israelites instructions how to better care for their hired workers or slaves. Okay? In fact, the, the history tells us that the nation of Israel took the best care for slaves or hired workers because of the instructions of the Lord. They took better care of slaves more than any other nation. That essentially 
were abusing slaves or hired workers. But the Israelites were not allowed to do that because God had given them instructions how to love slaves and care for them. So God was really just protecting other human beings because we are all created in his image. Okay, verse 15, let us read that out loud. If a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand them over to their master. Verse 16, let them live among you wherever they like and in whatever town they choose, do not oppress them. Right there. So God was giving instructions to prevent the Israelites from oppressing the slaves or hired workers. Okay, verse 17 talks about how no Israelite man or woman is to become a shrine prostitute. Shrine prostitute was common back then. They had a shrine or a home where people are there as prostitutes. And again, this is really highlighting God's dislike for sexual immorality because prostitutes essentially are abusing sex, which is something God created between a man and a woman in a marital relationship. Sex is not something, it's not a commodity where you can buy and sell, but that is what prostitutes do. So God is telling the Israelites that you would not be a part of this type of behavior. Verse 18, you must not bring the earrings, the earnings rather, of a female prostitute or of a male prostitute into the house of the Lord. Again, warning them that you should not bring any earnings, money, or no possession from a prostitute to my house. I won't accept that. Still applicable today. If you are prostituting yourself, taking money, and telling yourself that I'm going to give some to God, he does not accept that. I remember watching a television show once about a lady who was a professional prostitute, and she said that openly. And the way she justifies that was saying that she prostitutes and she, she, she was a new dancer, and she made a lot of money. She was extremely wealthy, and then she opened like a nonprofit where she was helping needy children financially and she would buy them toys and bless them and then she would give large amount of money to the church. By doing that, it made her feel good about herself. You know, when I was watching that show, I said, you know what, you can never, never, never justify sexual immorality, prostitution by buying God's love. Even though she was reaching out to the poor, giving some of her money to the church, God does not accept that money. It is dirty money. It is dirty money. And as I was watching this show, I just said, you know what, common sense. Even some of the people in the audience, you would see them shaking their head, saying, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. So um, that is what the Lord is telling us here. Okay, we cannot take money from immoral ways and bring to his house and give. No, he does not accept that. Okay, you get the point. Okay, verse 19, the Israelites are again giving further instructions to live in harmony with one another. They should not charge interest to the fellow Israelites. It is okay for them to charge interest from a foreigner, but not from their fellow Israelites, that way they will not bondage, if I can use that word, their fellow Israelites. 
All right, we come to verse 21 there. Moses is reminding the second generation Israelites that be careful when you make a vow to the Lord, God takes it seriously. I have explained this over and over. And that they would be found guilty if they made a vow to the Lord and they do not fulfill that vow. So they would be better off refraining from making a vow than to alter something quickly and then don't carry through. It is a sin. It is still applicable today. Before we make a commitment to people, brothers and sisters of Christ, listen to me. Before you commit yourself to any kind of endeavor, pause. Pray about it. Think about it. Seek God's counsel. Give yourself even 24 hours to pray about it. Because you don't want to make thoughtless commitments and then back out. It doesn't please the Lord. And that is what Moses is telling us here, that it is a sin against the Lord, especially those who would make commitments such as, I will go and serve the Lord on this day during that event. Or I will give X amount of dollars to that ministry or to that church. And then when the time comes, they disappear. You just sin against God. Stop doing that, okay? And verse 23, Moses went on to say, Whatever their lips utter, they better be sure to carry it out. <laughs> okay, verse uh, 24 here. This is so interesting. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. Isn't that truth? If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kennels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. This is so true. The principle here is that if you are invited somewhere, wow. If you are giving food or you're invited somewhere, just eat what you are giving. Don't take extra without permission. Don't take extra if people didn't offer extra to you. That would be ungodly. There are some people who are so selfish, you invite them to dinner. They want to hide some food and take home, and that is wrong. They want to go to somebody's vineyard and eat, 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 and take extra home. The Lord said, don't do that. Take extra home if they offer it to you. Don't welcome yourself to people's possessions. That is a principle right there. Even if somebody is generous to open their home to you, don't be taking people's things without them giving it to you. Don't do that. It's thievery. Okay? So that brings us to the end of chapter 23. And we have learned how God loves us so much that he is giving us instructions how to live peacefully with one another. So what are the major principles we have learned from these uh, chapters 22 and 23? Principle number one, God's love and care for his chosen people, the Israelites, and towards us. God loves us, cares about us enough that he would give us tiny details how we can get along with others. Second major principle, Second major principle here is God's protective care for the marriage institute. We talked about that and that still continues. So the application here is obvious. God still cares for us. God is pleased when we live in harmony with one another. 
Jesus even tells us that we should love our enemies. We should pray for our enemies. Jesus teaches us out of the parable of the Good Samaritan how we should care for our neighbor. And our neighbor is anyone that comes in close contact with us at any given time of the day. We should extend love, compassion, because God loves us enough. We should give that love to others. That is what we are learning here. Okay, because when we live in harmony with one another, when we love our enemies, we exude the love of Christ. We exude the compassion of Christ. We exude the care of Christ for his creation. And that would attract people to the God that we serve. God, God cares for each of us. God wants us to live fruitful, blessed, peaceful lives. And we should just learn to get along with one another. Fighting, arguing, strife, division is never of God. It's always of the enemy. And the book of James tells us in James chapter 1 that whenever there is strife, discord, division, argument, guess what? The power of the Holy Spirit is quenched in that environment and we would open the door for the enemy to come in there and to kill, steal, and devour us. We do not want to give Satan an entrance into our life through strife, argument, fighting. We should learn to live peacefully with one another, love our enemies, and trust the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to carry out this endeavor. Because as fallen human beings, some people are just too difficult to get along with. Some people are just difficult people. But when we are dealing with people who are truly difficult, we should just pray and ask God to walk through us to reach them. We should pray and allow Jesus Christ to walk through us to reach them. We should not make it our responsibility. We should trust God to help us. And I hope you receive that today in Jesus' name. So, Father God, I just thank you for these lessons we've learned here today. We thank you that you're such a God of love, peace, compassion, that as fallen human beings, we struggle with how to live peacefully among our neighbors. Strengthen us today, Holy Spirit. Walk through us so we can learn how to get along with others because it is your will. Because it is only when we start to learn how to get along with others and even our enemies that we can show the world that you truly live on the inside of us. And then that would give people the opportunity to come to you as the true living God. Teach us with this endeavor. We surrender our day to day to the Lordship of you, Jesus Christ. And we rely on the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Dear God, we thank you for you're such a good God. And we have prayed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we believe by faith this prayer is answered. And in Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Today is a day the Lord has made. So rejoice in it as you proceed with the rest of your day. I am Chris Horam. Goodbye.